Welcome to this special edition of Power to Speak, the podcast, recorded in association with the fabulous community that is You Are the Media. This recording should have taken place following the You Are the Media Christmas due in the auditorium of the Regent Centre in Christchurch. Unfortunately, due to a power cut in the building, we were all evacuated and decamped to a local inn called The Snug, who very generously allowed the 60 or so of us to set up in their upstairs room. Talk about winging it. Mark Masters, our host, managed between Wi-Fi outages to complete the online portion of the event for those watching at home. And despite the unplanned challenges, a good time was had by all. Considering what the You Are The Media team had managed to achieve in such difficult circumstances, I thought it would have been remiss of me not to attempt to go ahead with my planned chat with local businessman and Southbourne legend, Gordon Fong. I apologise in advance for the sound quality and background noise, but hopefully, dear listener, it won't distract you from the fabulous conversation that I had with Gordon. We discuss finding your tribe and the importance of community, whether it's in business or at home. And also Gordon tells me about the confidence he's managed to find in order to step from the back of the room to the front. So sound and quality issues aside, enjoy. And welcome to Power to Speak the podcast. And we are recording today in the snub in Christchurch, which is a little bit unexpected. And uh, we will maybe in this conversation explain a little bit about why we're here and what we're doing why we're doing it here. But my guest today is Gordon Fong. So welcome Gordon. Thank you. And Gordon, you are the director of Kimcell. Yeah. So explain to us to start with a little bit about what Kimcell is. Uh Kimcell's a range of businesses. We've got three brands really. We've got a web company and we started in the year two thousand, so I feel like a real digital dinosaur. We've got a hosting company that started around the same uh, 20 years ago. Uh, a consultancy company that works in law enforcement, national security. So a broad range of um, IT related because the consultancy works in you know, transforming uh, public sector bodies to work with the latest technologies. It also works within the law as well, the legislation. So it's all very, very interesting. Wow. Mm. Yeah. And so, so the law enforcement side of it, it what came first? I mean, were you, were you, how did it all start for you? Were you doing this particular stuff and you've fallen into? Yeah, the, the, the XDEP brand anyway, which does the consultancy, that was more to do with public sector procurement. So they work with DWP on large IT projects. When we talk about large IT projects, it's not just re, you're buying 10 laptops. These are 350,000 lap, uh, desktops for the DWP and actually when you have a such D- a size DWP is yes, yeah. so if you buy 350,000 desktops with 350,000 versions of uh, Windows you don't want all the manuals and all the CDs do you but that's a logistic problem that they had to overcome it's like you just need one golden master and that's about it but it's but from there we, we moved into uh, your national security some of the consultants worked in way out west let's say and then that went towards london and, and we have a strong reputation in that in those circles yeah because yeah. we're based down here i'm based down here on the south coast as is as as you are yeah. so how how did you end up doing this down here um did you come from the north yeah well north I, was, I was born in scotland i'm not yeah. going to say where because half of the passwords are based on it but uh <laughs> i then lived in the northeast for 
I used to say most of my life, but I haven't. I've lived most of my life down in Bournemouth. So moved down in 1996 and haven't looked back. I just absolutely love love the South here, in Bournemouth in, in particular. And what, what was the reason for moving to the um, When I left university, I, I worked for a small uh, company up in, the, up in Newcastle. They did Mac ISDN cards, which is like a digital communications network card at the full speed of 64 kilobits per second, which is, you know, modem speeds or whatever. So if you remember modems, I don't know if, don't know if you do. But now, obviously, we've got 1 gig, 10 gig, 100 gig networks or whatever. It's a totally different world. But anyway, I moved down from Newcastle to work for their competitor down in Bournemouth. And uh, from there, I worked for three years. Then I left to, to co-found uh, the web company called eMango. Oh. Mm. And eMango's still, still going? Yes, it, very, very small, very small. But I think, you know, maybe it's my claim to fame is we're still around after 21 years and maybe one of three original companies that... Uh, that started started around that time. Once you find the right tribe, it can it can mean many things to many people. But it's all about the support and picking up that little bits of support, you know, those, those kind of um, you know positive feedback that you get. Because I think sometimes we're too British, we're too self-deprecating. It's like, uh, well, actually, if you if you bank those little nuggets of you know self-confidence boosting uh, you know, interactions with with your know, people within the group. And actually, that will build up over time. And it took me, me about two years until I had full confidence to like, talk to different people. And then another year before I had confidence to do my first talk in front of 100 people. And I think we need to accept that, you know, take it on face value, take it that it's come from a genuine place because it really, really helped help us. And in fact, going into pan the pandemic, people kind of worked with each other, but kind of on each other's podcasts, blogs, vlogs, writing articles together. And actually, that's the power of the group. And that's what a, a good tribe should do, give you that support. But resilience, resilience is a different thing. It's sometimes you build up resilience. You can't just learn it. But you have to, it's made up of very, you know, many different things like fitness, leaving work alone. And the thing I picked up on today was, was laughter. You know, I, I love laughing. I love watching you know, crazy things on TV. Because, you know, Getting that air into your lungs can actually just reduce the tension. It can revitalize you, but once you understand the power of breath, if you can control it, you can actually control the stress levels. And I think sometimes it's not the only thing, and, and resilience is not just about this one thing. Sometimes laughing can just break you out of that rut, amongst other things. So those are the kind of two things. Uh, well, that part of that talk was recapping on that, and, and basically the power of the group. But the second half of the talk was about me coming from the back of the room to the front, you know, literally with, with that talk. And part of that was due to the support of the group. Uh, but also the, the other part was really about uh, you know, embracing you know, the genuineness. And you know, the reason why I'm wearing this black top and jeans is it's, it's an ironic representation of Steve Jobs. Because I used to watch Steve Jobs a lot and think, oh, that's, that's how to present. But actually, how you present is how you are. You can't be the mold of somebody else. You can learn techniques. You can be better at certain things, pacing, you know, pitch, etc. But at the end of the day, 
what comes up naturally has to be natural, has Absolutely. to be genuine. You, yeah. I, mean, you, I mean, it's very good to emulate somebody else. Yeah. Right? I often talk yeah. to, technique, to, technique. To, yeah. So I, I teach yeah. people techniques. I then say to people, who do, who do you look to? Who do you admire? Yeah. And you can kind of emulate them, but at the end of the day, it's yeah. you. you know, it has to come back to you. I got that. Yeah. Uh, Jack is already ready major. We, we had to leave the theatre because there, there was no electricity there. Although the buildings to the left and right were fine. So we had to decamp, move everything, and, and I'm sure Mark must have stressed as anything. But I felt okay. I felt okay. So I kind of landed upstairs, started the talk, and although I wanted a different pace to it, a lot more measured, but we had to, we have to adapt. And, and once I started going, because normally I, I can be quite nervous. It, it just flowed, and I was able to control it. I knew I had to speed up because we were, you know, pressures of time and everything. But but I think I, I kind of, I nailed. You know, even if I may say so, I nailed it. And I think when you don't over practice. Well, the thing is, I know don't over practice. But actually, you need to practice. You need you need to practice. So so I think I I, yeah, I controlled it enough. I adapted. I adapted for the situation. Yes, yes, yes. We, do, we all have to adapt. Yes. And, and, you know, we've all done that in lockdown. We have adapted. Mm. We've diversified. We've, you know, pivoted yeah. and all those sort of things. Yeah. And it kind of builds and it, it kind of builds a confidence. And I can absolutely understand what you're saying about the tribe yes. and having the community. I wouldn't be here doing this podcast if it wasn't in this community. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and certainly it's built my confidence around running a business, mm. all of those things, collaboration, yeah. all those things. Are really what I'd like to ask is how... How did you feel two years ago when, about performing, about presenting? How were you on the stage at the Shelley two years ago compared to how you felt about it today? Oh, well, I was pretty nervous. But once I got going, because I was talking about me, if I was talking about a technical subject, sometimes there'll be somebody in the crowd that knows more than you, and you might make a mistake or they can challenge you. But when you're talking about yourself, nobody can challenge your history, what you feel. So, so... You know, the talk was the same again in terms of I was talking about my own personal feelings. And that's the easiest thing to do, you know. This time, I just felt very natural. I kind of I had to practice, get my little confidence that actually I could. And the strange thing was I, I didn't have the presenter's fly, so I knew what was coming next. I had to kind of remember it. And the fact is, under pressure, if you, you know, practice and prepare well, it's there. You don't have to worry too much about it because it'll just come out. And also, if you mess up, nobody knows what's going to happen anyway. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's, that's one of the things you need to pick yeah, up on. Yeah. Yeah. And is it, that's why I love improvising. Yeah. You really yeah. do, you know, to anybody do, if you've got a chance to do an improvisation session and just play, yeah. it's a really good way of just freeing up your brain. Yeah. So yeah. That if you get to those moments where you just freeze or you feel like you're going to freeze, then, yeah. then you know, your brain is used to acting on its own. Yeah. Just yeah. Saying the first thing that comes into your head, basically. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. So you, a lot of what you were saying was you sitting in the back and being in the background. Yeah, yeah. And that being part of the community has kind of allowed you to move forward and, yeah. and stand up and do these sort of presentations. Yeah. I guess I'll caveat that with the fact that I went to um, Andrew Peake's Atomic Conference up in, uh, up in Newcastle. Yeah. And because that was something new to me in terms of that crowd, that environment, I actually felt nervous there. I didn't... Did you do a talk for that? No, I didn't. Right. I didn't. I was just there as an attendee. But I went to the one of the pre-event kind of meetups and I sat next to people, introduced ourselves and I got talking that way. But during the whole day, I didn't make a new contact. 
in the sense that I didn't kind of reach out to somebody and say, oh, how are you doing? Where are you from? I felt it was, it was still outside my comfort zone. I, I kind of felt I should have made more of an effort, but it is what it is. But next time I'll, I'll feel a lot more confident. But I, I kind of realized within this network, I, I can just talk to anybody. And if I see somebody new to the group, I will try and encourage them. If they're stood alone, nervous, that used to be me. So I'll try and reach out and bring them in because I know that's what we should do. That's what a good tribe should do. But when I was there, I, I did feel not in that tribe. And, and yeah, it, it, it felt strange. Did you, are you part of other networks? Did you, I mean, what I'm trying to get at, I suppose, is that I, I feel like I kissed a lot of frogs <laughs> before I found yeah. a community that I felt I could be part of, yeah. that understood what I did and who I am. Yeah. Did you try others before you sort of came? Not really. I'm, I mean, maybe something involved in the normal you know, business chambers, et cetera, et cetera. But they're, they're, they're a totally different feel to, to what this is. So this is my real core tribal community. But the other community is where I live. I live in a place called Southbourne, and you know, over time, and that was my, you know, part of my talk in the first one. Is I found that as, you know, that is my my home. Yeah, you know, where we live, sometimes it's it's just a place where you live. That's where your house is situated. But when, you know, my last talk was when it's your home, it means something much more different, much more deeper meaning. As in, you can walk up and down the street, you feel safe, you feel connected with the people, and having. I don't want to touch on the, my previous talk too much, but having lived in the Northeast a lot, I didn't have that feel, connection. So when I moved here, you know, people recognized me as somebody who's really supportive of the community. That wouldn't have happened if I didn't feel it was home. Yes. Yeah. And so you do a lot for Southbourne. Tell us a little bit about that. Southbourne Brew. Oh, yeah. Tell us about Southbourne Brew. I think there's a lot of people doing much more, you know, better things than, than what I'm doing at the minute. Like people are raising thousands and thousands of pounds for the community, of, for the food banks doing events but because you know, I've been involved in the internet and kind of digital savvy you know right at the beginning of Twitter and, and the Facebook whatever I used to share a lot of what's happening in the community events businesses and that's how I got kind of known through that and then when, when Mark Schaefer did his talk about known I kind of went yeah that's why people ask me in the street are you Gordon Fong you know and I was like, oh, okay yeah and it goes back to the Okay, yeah. And people would say, thank you for what you're doing in the community. And that would be all self-deprecating or whatever. But I realized from what Mark Schaefer said, you don't have to chase being famous. You can just be known for what you do. And that's okay. And then when I, when I heard Mark say that on the stage, I thought, yeah, I really totally buy into that. So for people that don't know who Mark Schaefer is, just kind of... You probably... I, t I obviously know Mark Schaefer from the yeah, other yeah. media community, but... He's a... Oh, He's an international author, international speaker. And I don't read much. And then, you know, I, I kind of cringe when we go to networking meetings and people go, have you read such and such? Have you read? What you should do is read such and such. And I never read. Not even audiobooks. But when it comes to Mark Schaefer's books, just everyone I can really connect with. And for me, it's not the thing where I read the book and I chase to follow it. The way everything's happened is I've kind of done my thing in terms of being known and, and his newest book cumulative advantage i've kind of been through that mill and then when i've read the book and he said it on stage I kind of had that validation of what yeah yeah because yeah, i've kind of gone from it the other way around where i can make that connection afterwards yeah. but yeah mark 
So is it content marketing? I mean, what, how would you... A little bit. I think that's his background. But now it's a lot more. It's about community engagement. And actually, you know, his last book is about, it's about reaching down to help those below you and reaching up so you, you can go to the next level. So it's more than just, just content. It's about being human and, and helping helping the wider community. So, so there is a crossover then between the, the community as a business hmm. and the community as a home. Yeah, that recently, you know, I'm on my path to retirement. So for the next 15 years, I want to put something back into, from, from a business perspective, I've done okay. I'm, I'm doing okay. You know, there are people who are you know, in, in much harder situations than me. So I'm, I'm thankful for what the business has done. So I want to try and put something back in terms of supporting the next generation and the next businesses. And maybe that I can't give them too much because, you know, when I started the business, it, the tools available are so different and I've learned not to compare because yeah. nowadays you can just start your business go online and you're running before you had to sign a lease for an office you can get phone lines in a phone system business cards and letterheads before you would even announce you a business because people would say have you got a business card if you didn't have that but now people, you know, they, this next generation they can, or even my generation they can still start business as is so I want to if I can't help them, I want to stand by them. I want, I want to champion them. Because actually, give it 10, 20, 30 years' time, there is nobody else. And part of me is kind of annoyed at this section of society where they really do beat down on the next generation. Yeah. They think they're lazy, they're woke, they're kind of uh, too sensitive. And that, to me, that's the wrong way to do it. That's the wrong, because actually, there will be nobody else looking after you. You know, when, when I'm old and decrepit, rocking back and forth in my own mess in my bed, whether that's my bed at home, in a care home, in a hospital, I need a generation. I need people around to, to look, up, look after me. If we don't have a thriving economy that supports new businesses, that can support families who can, you know, go into healthcare as well, then we won't have the money to, to, pay, uh, to fund social care, healthcare. And we can only do that through a thriving economy. We can only do that through more people come. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So I don't know how I can do it, but it's top of mind all the time. Yeah. I mean, I think if nothing else, after the lockdown, there will be innovation. There will be innovation. And yeah. that, you know, that hopefully it comes from a generation that we, you know, say we're looking down on. Yeah. Those will be the guys that will, you yeah. know, bring it all absolutely. forward. Yeah. I know you're a big part of the Dorset innovation part. Oh, yeah, yeah. So tell us a bit about how that started and what, what that is. Yeah, we, we were based in Bournemouth for 20 years. And actually, one of the best things that happened is we moved out of the building. And I didn't realise how stifling it was being in the same building for 20 years. So if you have a chance, unless you own the building, ch change every five years. And if you do own the building, a friend of mine said, actually, just change where your desk is. Because sometimes you need that freshness. So like I said, moving out, we've had the best two years ever in terms of it's been really transformational. Now, being on the Dorset Innovation Park, we built our own new data center facility from the ground up. We involved the staff to say, because before they would always complain, oh, somebody did it this way, or oh, I wouldn't do that. You know, these cables are in the wrong place. So they always had somebody else to blame. So we said, here's a blank sheet of paper. Design the data center the way you want it. And they came up with innovation. Um, so we have a circular, instead of having racks and racks, we've got a circular rack where we feed cold air in, and the service pull the cold air through. 
So it doesn't matter how hot it is outside, we just keep on feeding through there. But also the that means that means that cables are easily accessible that on the outside and in the gaps between the servers because you, you made it a circular shape. They run the power cables, the networking cables, etc. So you know that was through their through their kind of innovation. Yeah. Yeah. And then within the park you've got the military there as well. There's yeah. Other that, businesses the, the park was meant for more security minded uh, businesses. Turned up, we have a, had a conversation with somebody heading up the innovation arm within the army, and they wanted to build an innovation centre there. And I think it was just serendipity. You know, the time was just perfect that they turned up and they said, "Can you help?" Uh, so all the time we did little things for them, and the fact that we, you know, we're a bunch of good people, we we are fast moving, and we just we just got things done, which meant we just got more and more work. So aside from because we didn't, we didn't expect that we thought there'd be more tenants moving in. We might sell them some internet services, but nothing of this scale. And then, you know, once our staff got involved, they've had, they've had to learn things like 5G networks, you know, building a wall, you know, a TV screen wall of three by three massive TVs over IP networks or whatever. So they, you know, they've had a chance to learn new things. And, you know, hopefully that keeps our staff with us for even longer. Yeah. You know. I mean, it seems to be getting busier in here. There's more and more people coming in. But cocktails are your thing, aren't they? Um, cocktails. <laughs> Gordon is known in our Zoom rooms. In his little thumbnail, he, be, he will be sat there. You'll be sat there making a cocktail. Yeah. So what's your favourite cocktail? Oh, I don't have one favourite one, but I do I do kind of line them up. I might start off with a dry, dry martini or Gibson, if you put a little cocktail uh, onion in. Maybe next... A Negroni, a Rumble, Rumble fashion, I love an avi aviation. Uh, maybe if you, if you need to hydrate, I'll have a whiskey highball. Yeah, then I'll move back onto, onto the cocktails again. <laughs> Do you need to write a book? I'll, I'll try, I'll try. But, but a Gordon Fung cocktail, yeah, yeah. I think it's, yeah, it's definitely in order. Excellent. The other thing that I really wanted to talk mm. to you about, because I saw this on, uh, I think it was Southbound Group, is the fact that you asked a local songwriter mm. to write a yeah. song <laughs> to promote the fact that Hopestown Station yeah. didn't have a lift, so anybody in a wheelchair couldn't access yeah. the station. Yeah. So how, how did that come about? That, that very much sounds like a community. It, it was a community thing, thing and... Uh, you know, I've been working with a, with a friend in Southbourne, and we organised a couple of events locally, um, pre-pandemic. So when, when the pandemic hit, we thought, what can we do for the community? And we came up with, it, with an idea of doing a, a small music festival online. So we would, uh, you know, raise some funds and, and pay some local musicians to do some songs to contribute, and, or maybe even a live music event that we can focus on. But things kind of chopped and changed as, as it was in the pandemic. But you know, one of the guys, Simon, Simon Fernand, did this uh, song for the train station. Now, in the past, you know, local councillors in the community have spent many, many years campaigning to get lifts fitted. So, you know, we were just one small cog in the in the whole in the whole wheel of things. But he came up with a fantastic song. And what happened from that was. The, the local newspaper got involved with interviews, radio, it came on TV, and it kind of brought it back to the to the fore. Yeah. Not saying that we were involved in, 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 in you know, making it any better, but I, I believe work is starting soon on putting those, uh, soon on putting those lifts in. So, you know, we were part of the story, but 
you know, part of the community, we kind of hopefully revitalized it, yeah. or give it some more momentum. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well done. Yeah. Well done, you. So just before we finish here, tell people where they can find that yeah. and where they can find you. Um, if you look at southbourngroove.com, that's a little play on the fact that it's called Southbourne Grove. Or if you search on you know, uh, Polkstown train station song, you might you might get to see that as well. Yeah. And are you happy for people to connect with you on LinkedIn? Absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. So if they're just putting Gordon Fong, that will come up. Obviously, I will put all the links yeah, yeah, here. Yeah. Uh, and I'll make sure all the links that yeah. people can connect with you here on the... There's not that many Gordon Fong's based in Bournemouth, which is... Uh, and it goes back to this confidence thing. After 15 years of business, I, I, I hid away. There are various reasons for that, which I won't touch into now, but I kind of shied away from, from um, stepping forward into the limelight. But then I realised this is my biggest asset, hence why people ask, are you Gordon Fong? Yeah. yeah. So once I, once I got my head around that, you know, it's still it's still hard. It's still you know uncomfortable sometimes stepping forward and being seen. But you know, I realise this is my biggest asset. Yeah, and I should make more of it. Yeah, and I think you know, if there's the biggest takeaway from this conversation is that that you have to be yourself. Yeah, you, you know, I, sometimes you, you maybe watch too many YouTube videos and think, oh wow, they smashed it. They're like scaling the business. They're so confident. But like I said, it took me two years. And then the next year, year to, to be confident enough to do a talk in front of 100 people. So, you know, it, we're all different. So just take it easy and slowly, but, you know, just build up. Build yeah. up your confidence. Yeah, absolutely. I will absolutely agree with that. And as I was saying, you are your USP. You are your point. So in everything that you do, don't be afraid to be yourself because that, that's, that's your unique selling point. Yeah. Fabulous. Thank you so much for being a guest today. Thank you, Jack. The music's kicked off upstairs, so we will head upstairs and uh, have a drink, I think. Well deserved. So, thank you very much. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.